millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution sponsored by Fido Mobile. Stay tuned as we talk Canadian news and Black issues on a regular basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of April 3rd, including... Budget 2022, a plan to grow our economy and make life more affordable... Minimum wage wars are underway as we kick off the provincial election campaigns. Amazon gets its first union, much to their chagrin. (laughs) And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. Well, this week was Budget Week, where the government of Canada released its fiscal projections and spending plans for the years ahead. Budget 2022 was delivered in the House of Commons by Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christian Freeland, only her second as a result of the political and economic upheaval we all experienced because of the Rona. Her budget is being sold as a solid balance between fiscal responsibility and addressing Liberal and NDP caucus priorities, which broadly includes investing in three main things, people, economic growth, and a clean future for everyone. At the same time, the feds had been signaling that this budget wouldn't contain nearly as much spending as the last one did, spending which was needed to keep people and companies alike solvent through COVID uncertainty. And that's basically what we got. A fiscal blueprint with $31.2 billion in net use spending over five years, as opposed to the total $650.3 billion in spending that led to a deficit of $354.2 billion last year. In many ways, this is a back-to-basics budget that largely takes progressive concerns into account. So why don't we take a look at what it contains from our perspective? Please do. Let's start by looking at what the budget does on anti-racism and black and brown issues more broadly. In 2019, the feds launched an anti-racism strategy to fund important community projects to promote understanding across Canada and to reduce the incidence of racism and discrimination. At that time, it was funded by the Department of Canadian Heritage with $45 million. It's now being nearly doubled to $85 million between this year and 2024 Mm. and will lead to an updated anti-racism strategy and national action plan on combating hate. Just to pull a little quote from the budget, it says, quote, this funding will support community projects that ensure that Black and other racialized Canadians like Asian Canadians and religious minorities have access to resources that support their full participation in the Canadian economy, while also raising awareness of issues related to racism and hate in Canada, end quote. They also propose investing $11.2 million over five years, starting this year, and $2.4 million after that, 
to support both the new special representative on combating Islamophobia and the special envoy on preserving Holocaust remembrance and combating anti-Semitism, both in Canada and around the world. Both entities would receive an equal split of the investment, so that's 5.6 million uh, over the next five years, and then uh, an ongoing 1.2 million after that. They'd also invest another $50 million in the Supporting Black Canadian Communities Initiative to continue empowering Black-led and Black-serving organizations to promote inclusivity. Something you'll really like, Patience. There's also federal funding for the Jean Augustine Chair in Education, Community, and Diaspora. Yes. Yeah, huh, uh huh. As for those of us who may not know, Miss Augustine was the first Black woman elected to the House and the first Black person appointed to cabinet, a move made by Liberal Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. The Jean Augustine Chair in Education, Community, and Diaspora, housed at York University, is focused on addressing anti-Black racism in the Canadian education system to improve educational outcomes for Black students, and the feds are giving them $1.5 million to support their efforts. Can we, can we stop? I know that you're going to ask me for, you know some like for, to weigh in at the end but i think ahead, this is go a ahead. really good yeah it's it's a good time to talk about the the amazing work that that they do at york university in particular for black students who are who are in the the canadian education system mm-hmm. I, I don't think that people know that some of our our, our latest level of understanding of black students experiences in the school system come from Carl James and the work that he's been doing uh, as the Jean Augustine uh, Chair in Education, Community, and Diaspora. Particularly good example of this is streaming in high schools, where they found that Black students were being streamed down into uh, workplace or college-level courses and um, basically being streamed out of of university being a, a good option for them or a feasible option for them. So without researchers like Carl James, like the mm. students at York University focusing on these problems, uh, we would have never really, um, I mean, not to say we would have never known that, but that, that research, anything that gets money gets done. <laughs> right. So if the feds don't pay this this money and uh, support this this type of work, we won't know because no one has the money. Um, well, yeah, because we just need to to pay for this stuff to get done. That was that was a solid addition. There's also support for the Muslim in Canada archive, and what that is is a collaborative initiative of the Institute of Islamic Studies at the University of Toronto. It provides an opportunity to reshape these narratives and provide Canada's robust and diverse Muslim community a chance to tell their own stories in their own words. So what the feds are proposing is to invest uh, about $4 million this year alone to help Muslim communities acquire, organize, preserve, and make accessible records of and about Muslim people and organizations in this country. Very cool. Very cool indeed. The feds also want to invest $15 million next year to support diverse and local stories in media. I, I, I'm, I'm quite interested about this uh, for obvious reasons, patients, but what they're looking at right now is $10 million in 2023-2024 for the Local Journalism Initiative to support the production of local journalism for communities like ours, and $5 million more in that same year period to launch a new Changing Narratives Fund to break down systemic barriers in media and help racialized and religious minority journalists, creators, and organizations have their experiences and perspectives better represented. There's also $40 million over three years starting this year for the Canada Periodical Fund 
to support journalistic content being consumed through digital means. So I'm just going to make our pitch right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, 15 million is not that much, but you know, the drip is here. Uh, we're, we're, we're about that life. So we're clearly um, about that life. You, you can really just let us know when, you know, the fund is open. Fam, All right. <laughs> yes. The magnifying glass is out. Anyway. Um, there's also a proposed $60 million investment in legal aid. So indigenous peoples, black and brown Canadians, and those with mental health issues who are disproportionately uh, the ones going before our criminal justice system due to racism and bias, uh, their support for them so that they uh, get the fair hearing that they deserve as well. Pretty good stuff altogether uh, from a kind of a racial lens. And that's on top of the the many, many, many listed goodies uh, that were in the budget 2021 and in years prior as well. Why don't we jump over to housing, Patience? You ready for that? Yo, am I? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see. So uh, in terms of the plan for housing, budget 2022 is looking to build more affordable housing. They want to do this by providing $1.5 billion over two years starting this year to the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation to extend the Rapid Housing Initiative. And this new funding should create at least 6,000 new affordable housing units, with at least 25% of them going towards women-focused housing projects. I did not know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Women- is very interesting. Oh yeah, Hussein's been doing a lot of, a lot of Hussein with the help of like even Ariel and, and others, even, even uh, uh, MP Ryan Turnbull has been doing a lot of, a lot of work on this file. Sorry, any idea, is this... Women-focused housing pro- projects, meaning like single mom, like is there a is there an angle? Like why why? <laughs> I guess. It could be numerous things. So if I even look at like funding for the the Muslim Welfare Center here in Durham Region, mm-hmm. basically they'll set aside certain and a certain amount of units for women, particularly oh. in whether you're coming from a shelter or you're coming okay. from a, wow. A, abusive relationship or you have you know whatever it is but they said they basically set a number of units aside that's very thoughtful i I didn't know that they were doing that so thank you Mm -hmm. for explaining so they also want to double all housing construction across canada over the next decade to address supply issues in the housing market and that'll that'll be done through different tools including through the cmhc once again to launch a new housing accelerator fund and that fund would be designed to address the realities of municipalities. And it could include upfront funding for investments in municipal housing planning to speed up housing development. There will certainly be a, a focus on affordable housing in there too. There's also a commitment to invest $4 billion over five years for 100,000 net new homes. That'll help with the supply side issue that we have, which hopefully should lead to reduce home prices in the long run too. They'll also build more co-op housing through investing $500 million to launch a new cooperative housing development program. They'll also give a billion dollars in loans to support co-op housing projects. That'll be the largest co-op investment in 30 years and should lead to 6,000 co-op units alone. There's also a plan to introduce the tax-free first home savings account to make it easier for young Canadians to save for their first home. And when I say young, that's people under 40. That means uh, those people under 40 in particular will have access to TFSAs with a contribution ceiling of $40,000 that we can withdraw tax-free to buy our first property. There's also a plan to implement a multi-generational home renovation tax credit. And this applies to a lot of people. And quite frankly, it even applies to me and... A few years ago, I'd never thought it would. (laughs) Facts. 
So recognizing that many Canadians have a tradition of living in multi-generational homes with grandparents, parents, and kids under one roof, and that many families need this arrangement to care for one another, this budget proposes to give Canadians 7500 bucks to build a secondary suite for a senior or adult with a disability. The budget also proposes to move forward with what was uh, discussed from basically last fall, right? The Home Buyers Bill of Rights, including a national plan to end blind bidding. Woohoo! Yo, mm-hmm. we need that. We need mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It would also hopefully lead to things like a legal right to home inspection and ensuring transparency on the the history of sales and prices on title yes. searches. But all yes. that's all that's dependent on negotiations with the provinces and territories. So we'll oh, oh. Well, yeah, since oh. since it's the provinces and territories responsible for housing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> well, let's not get our hopes up until. until we get <laughs> There's also a plan uh, to provide a $500 one-time top-up to the Canada Housing Benefit to help folks with rent at a cost of $475 million over the already $4 billion that was announced to be spent in 2020. Freeland has said all these are, you know, they're not silver bullets, but they'll help get us out of the challenge that we're in now. And all in all, I didn't mention everything that's there, but everything would be basically cost $10 billion. Anything you want to kind of jump in on that, Patience? Yeah, because like it's such a huge thing, and I think mm-hmm. outside of the spending, there was a lot of talk, at least in 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 my networks this week, about the kind of temporary ban on foreign home buyers, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I thought that was really interesting that the feds are really trying to think around this situation, like okay. What what is happening? So definitely, there's an issue with supply. Definitely, um, people are being exploited um, because they 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 need something. But there still is this polarization, and that that is exacerbated by this housing situation. And uh, I just appreciate that that folks are really thinking about this because there is no silver bullet. And like. Sure, like the the government didn't put any silver bullets in the budget, but but that's because there there literally isn't anything that folks can think about um, paying for that would solve this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think it's a great plan. I I will say that as a progressive, I wish there was more money put into this, but I I think that people who are more centrist or maybe people who don't live in Ontario might think that this is enough. And and given that this is a federal budget. I get it. This is this is not exclusively uh, an Ontario issue, but it's certainly most most impacting Ontarians. So I get why you know ten billion is what they put here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jumping over to climate change, which will be our last topic um, for the budget. So um, since driving in Canada accounts for twenty percent of Canada's greenhouse gas emissions. The feds will mandate that 20% of new light duty vehicle sales be ZEVs or or zero emission vehicles by 2026, that at least 60% of them will be ZEVs by 2030 and 100% will be so by 2035. To reduce emissions from medium and heavy duty trucks, the feds are aiming for 35% of total uh, medium and heavy duty vehicle sales being ZEVs by 2030. And they'd also require 100% of certain types of medium and heavy duty vehicles to be so by 2040. You know, something that's been very popular in Canada since it was first introduced is the, the tax credit for EVs, right? 
5,000 bucks anytime you buy a vehicle of that caliber within a certain price range. So they're looking to extend that program right through to 2025 at a cost of $1.7 billion. I don't know about you, patients, but I'm certainly looking forward to pay, uh, taking advantage of that program. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you seen gas prices? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. To go along with that, to, to support that, they're also looking to, to accelerate the installation of networks of EV charging stations across the country by spending $3 billion to install them all across the land. And they're looking to do so, you know, install about 50,000, I would assume by, by 2025. Wow is the timeline. Just to put into perspective what kind of a transformation is ongoing right now, patients. I don't know if a lot of our listeners are aware, but just this week, our government, as well as the provincial government of Doug Ford, we co-invested in GM here in Durham. It was a total investment of about $2 billion between both governments and GM to create Canada's first full EV plant that's only going to create EV batteries from here on in. Anyway, yeah. So, um, we are in that era where the transition is fully, fully, fully underway. And by the way, um, you know, there was another, uh, a similar plant that was announced uh, maybe the week prior to that in Windsor. There are different investments that are underway to get us to the green transition that we're all seeking. So, uh, you know, look, I, I didn't go into too much detail with climate change because I've gone into so much detail with, with you know, race-related issues and housing. What I encourage people to do is to look at the budget for themselves. Everything's laid out plain as day and make an opinion for yourself as well. But what is the political reaction to the budget? On the one hand, the NDP, as we know, is in a confidence and supply agreement with Prime Minister Trudeau's liberals to extract NDP priorities from this government. And they've done just that, by example, by making the $5.3 billion investment on dental care, which we spoke about on last week's episode, right, patients? Right. So the NDP is going to vote for this budget. On the other hand, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh had some criticism, like on the carbon capture credit, because honestly, it could be a huge waste of money on untested tech when we could be focusing on tech that actually does work. Conservative leader Candace Bergen called it a, quote, typical classic NDP spend and tax budget, end quote. She went on to say, quote, we were looking for controlled spending, which would in turn control inflation, end quote, which I'm just going to say, like, look, I, I get it, but inflation isn't being caused by spending in this budget or even in the last budget. And for the record, this budget keeps our debt to GDP ratio falling, which is most important. So that's kind of my perspective on that. What do you think about this overall? I mean, you patients, you've already kind of shared your thoughts. What, anything you want to maybe add? No, I think, um, I, yeah, you're, you're right that I, I did uh, share my thoughts. I think that this liberal administration has been really creating a legacy for themselves. And this mm -hmm. is this budget is no exception. I, um, I didn't think that we were going to get dental and pharmacare out of this particular, you know, round. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's here. And I think I saw something yesterday or the day before that said that we are at uh, a historic low for unemployment rates. So I, are, I think yes. like stuff is stuff is working out, Candace. Sorry, girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people are working. People are, are, are feeling like like either they're they're taken care of right now or they will be taken care of the next little while. And I think that that's what matters. That's what people look to the federal government to do to, to take care of them and their families. Yep, full stop. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Moving on to blackity black black this week. A recent report shows black women were the biggest beneficiaries of our 2018 minimum wage boost in Ontario. This news comes just in time for provincial party leaders to make their minimum wage promises for this year and for the upcoming term. But all I have to say is that, you know, Ford can say whatever he wants to win votes. He lies and he forgets or whatever. Or what this this recent report showed is that in 2018, when minimum wage went from $11.60 to $14. And again, this was a Kathleen Wynn era. Wynn Kathleen. Right? Kathleen Wynn era policy change. or uh, When that happened, Black women in particular mm-hmm. saw their wages on average, meaning all, like if you average out all Black women's wages in Ontario, on average went up by around 5%, okay? That's a big boost. It's a huge boost when you consider that most Black women do not earn minimum wage. Yeah. It means that this raising of the floor has a domino effect for other people's wages who made maybe just above minimum wage. Which is what progressive economists have always said, right? When you raise the floor, it helps everybody else. Exactly. Which is the polar opposite of what everyone else has been saying. Things along the lines of, you know, if you raise the minimum wage, uh, you're just going to make it harder for for, um, CEOs to pay the people who make minimum wage. And you're going to make it easier for them to replace those folks with... Uh, automation and all that stuff. Nope. That is not the evidence that we are seeing in this most recent report. Right. This has created the the context of what is happening right now, which is everyone wants to to you know get as many votes as they can for this upcoming election in June. And Doug Ford, despite refusing to raise the minimum wage in 2019 when it was scheduled to to increase. He put that on hold. And then January 1st, 2022, so this January, I have to give him credit, he did raise minimum wage to $15. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, he did that because it's it's optimal timing for people to pay attention to what is happening in advance of an election, right? You're six months out from an election. It shows that you're doing things in good faith, even though you're not because you stopped a planned increase the year um, a couple of years before. So... Ford has now promised he wants to increase the minimum wage to $15.50, so by 50 cents. But only if, if and only if... He's re-elected. He's re-elected. He needs to get in power, and then he's going to toss you two quarters, fam. Yeah. He's doing a lot of that um, promise-making. He's making a a lot of those types of promises. For example, he made another promise related to basically removing the provincial portion of the gas tax. So basically people at the pumps would save about five cents, but he would only implement that uh, as of 
like right after the election. I think it's like July 1st or something like that. Right. And it would be only in place for like six months. And by the way, it would cost the treasury like almost like it would cost like a ridiculous amount of money just for five cents of the pub. It's 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 nuts. So yeah, I don't know why he's he's trying like you said, right? He's trying to do whatever he can to get people to say, yeah, this guy, maybe I'll maybe I'll stick with him a second time. Yeah. And and I find that that for people who I get it, like don't have all the time to focus on what is happening in politics, it mm-hmm. reads really well. So I'll, I'll give you an example. On Thursday, or or maybe it was Friday, um, my mom opens the mail and you know she's really happy. She got her two hundred and eighty dollar check. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I get it. It has a really big impact. It's a really big boost. Maybe you can do an, an extra round of groceries or put mm-hmm. some extra in your pension. I don't know what you know that where, where that money's going to, but it it feels really great but let's not forget please let us not forget that the 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 things that he is waiting to save money on so like like the way that he was kind of stalling around child care the way that he was kind of um stalling with the the minimum wage costs us more yep that's right so in terms of what the other parties have offered, and just to remind you, uh, Ford and the, 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 the progressive conservatives have said 1550 if elected. The opposition NDP's plan would see minimum wage rise to $16 on October 1st and $17 next May, so May 2023, $18 the following May 2024, and $19 in 2025, Ending uh, at least that 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 um, series of increases ending in 2026 at 20 dollars. Mm-hmm. Minimum wage would be then indexed to inflation, which it should always be. Yep, yep. <laughs> Minimum wage should always be indexed to inflation beyond 2026. That is how you avoid people working 40 hours a week at minimum wage and not being able to feed their families. That's right. Anyway, sorry for raising my voice. The heat's coming out. The heat. It's hot. Uh, The liberals uh, would replace the minimum wage with a regional living wage starting at $16 uh, by January 1st, 2023, and then work with labor, industry, nonprofits, small businesses, academia, uh, and academia to determine what the living wage should be regionally. Uh, the, the living wage, again, lots of work, lots of scholarly work about what that means. Mm-hmm. It's a, a, a mix of um, rent, of course, but um, cost of, of basic necessities, heat, water, um, and uh, of course, the, the cost of, of food. So uh, really, really interesting to see where this conversation is going. But clearly, out of the three major parties in Ontario, uh, Doug Ford is behind on this one. 1550 is not going to cut it. Yeah, it's actually going to gear up to be an election, I hope, really based on substance. Whereas... (laughs) I think everybody remembers in 2018, we had Doug Ford basically saying, I'm just going to give buck a beer and that's yeah. enough. There, there really was no substantive debate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Moving to our next story, uh, which is a blackity black black story because of a very special black man, Chris Smalls. 
So Amazon gets unionized on April 1st. This is, is easily one of the biggest labor victories in the the last quarter century. Massive. Yes. And it was led by a man who was told that he was unprofessional and, you know, not worthy of entering the negotiating rooms of, of, of Amazon, you know? So Chris Smalls uh, has led Amazon workers at the JFK 8 warehouse. He has led them to uh, a successful organizing and is easily on his way to getting workers at that that warehouse $30 an hour. Look at that. So the Amazon Labor Union has called for the company to increase wages. The average hourly starting pay at U.S. fulfillment centers is $18 an hour, according to Amazon. The union is also seeking vacation improvements and more paid breaks, along with other demands. In a note to clients on Monday, Morgan Stanley analysts estimated that 2023 operating expenses would increase by $203 million if Amazon boosts JFK 8 employees' hourly wages to $29 per hour. I'm not sure who cares about that, but okay. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the company's annual operating expenses, uh, which topped almost, wait for it, $445 billion with a B. last year. With a B. a B. So Morgan Stanley, just to remind you, taking the wages to $29 would increase their operating expenses by $203 million. Oh, boo-hoo. But you posted operating expenses of $445 billion last year? Fam, do you want me to cry? Like, what do you want, actually? That That is... Penny, <laughs> if you understand what $1 billion is, yeah, then $203 million is throwaway, fam. It's probably what you pay for waste removal. Like it's so it's negligible to say the least. Anyway, whew. remember, Amazon is the same company that allegedly went as far and, and Curtis and I reported on this last year, allegedly went as far as to change the timing of the traffic signals mm-hmm. outside of JFK eight to make it more difficult. But for Chris Smalls and the rest of their organizers to sign employees up for this union. So Amazon has done everything in their power to resist and to, to fight the organizing, but still it's, it's, it, it has happened. So I would say it's, it's about time. Yep. Many workers believe that their bosses have treated them really poorly during the pandemic and are angry that their wages have not moved really an inch. If you are are frustrated with the way that your boss is paying you and maybe a, a 1% or a 2% bump this year, imagine how Amazon workers must feel because it, it is the essential of the essential. I don't know how many of you were avoiding going to grocery stores or avoiding going to department stores and were waiting for your Amazon package. Amazon is on my street more often than Canada Post is, fam. Word. Easily. So congratulations to Chris Smalls. Congratulations to the workers at JFK 8. This is the first union local i hope that there will be many many millions more uh and and contributing to making amazon not only a better place to work but a safer place to work yep any thoughts on this curtis no other than you know it is good to see that there's a union in place at the biggest employer in the world 
Um, it does in a way set a standard. And we've, we've absolutely talked about the value of unions, not only in our interview with the cast of The Porter just a few weeks ago, but certainly in numerous episodes since we even begun uh, this conversation on this podcast. Right, Patience? So, absolutely. Uh, big, big, big news. And I'm, I'm so happy, so happy that it's in place. What I thought was hilarious, I believe it was um, Trevor Noah. Yeah. He put together a reel sure. of Republican uh, senator after senator <laughs> in one breath. You know, they, they would all say Justice Jackson is, you know, incredibly intelligent, incredibly accomplished. Uh, effectively, you know, not many people have more experience and understanding of the law than her. Like, I mean, they'd say like, you know, her story is incredibly inspiring and all people should know about it. And it's it's hilarious. They all say this and then they all say, and anyway, I'll be voting no. It it I'm sorry, I'm triggered. Like, that's not funny, <laughs> like, like what? Like, like what why why is this where we are? Like I well, I thought what was funny is how ridiculous okay. it was for that to be on television. It's not even like oh. closed door voting. We're literally watching these people say, on the one hand, she is everything we want. <laughs> and then on the flip side saying, anyway, I'm voting no because politics. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it really is. And um, I just wish that they would recognize. So I, I, I get voting along party lines, obviously. We talk about this every week in, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, Canada. But um, I do feel like there should be some exceptions. Like when you see something as monumental as the first black woman to ever or, or the, the first black woman to be qualified, but, uh, yeah. brought to the to a confirmation hearing. I think, you know, there should be some exceptions. And she did such a, a great job presenting herself uh, and, and making a case for, against her record of, of cases that, that she's judged and, and deliberated on. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm so, 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 so excited to see what what good stuff comes out of her her sitting on the on the bench and and when did she when was she officially confirmed patients it was the seventh yeah so so i was actually wrong last week in saying that justice brown had been confirmed i guess it was me knowing that it would happen and just the you know the being so anxious about her uh (laughs) (laughs) walking in faith (laughs) not by sight But I, I should I should state that um, the Senate confirmed Justice Jackson in a fifty three to forty seven vote and elevated the first black woman to the pinnacle of the judicial branch uh, on April seventh, as Patience already said. So three Republicans actually joined Democrats in supporting uh, President Biden's nominee, uh, Justice Jackson. So it is uh, it's good to finally get for her dues when it when it's finally due. So exciting. This past week, we observed the slap that was heard around the world. And following that incident between three Black people, the Academy proceeded to ban Will Smith from their awards for a decade, 10 years. We are curious to know, given the host of... um, 
sexual predators, um, murderers, people who have done all manner of unethical things. Far worse. Far worse unethical things, either at the Oscars or affiliated with their piece that, that won an Oscar. We're curious to know what you think about the decision to ban Will Smith from, from the Oscars. You've just listened to episode 82 of The Drip, sponsored by Fido Mobile. And we're so thankful for their support, which amplifies important discussions like these in the fight against anti-Black racism. We're releasing pods on a regular basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. We love our many non-Black listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time.